0: Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 7. Today's guest is John Markowski, a gardener based out of New Jersey. You may be familiar with John from his popular blog, The Obsessive Neurotic Gardener, where he showcases his passion for grasses and native plants in the gardens he designed around his home and property. In our conversation, we talked not only about John's garden and enthusiasm for grasses, but also his experience with a pipeline project that was quite literally in his backyard at one point in time. If you lean towards enjoying garden design and gardening with non-edible plants, John's blog is a must-read. I think you will really enjoy this episode. If you do enjoy this episode or any of my other episodes, please consider taking a few minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes. You can also find me on Instagram at the Garden Path Podcast. YouTube, just search for the Garden Path Podcast. I have a new video from harvesting ginger recently. And you can always drop me an email at thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. Hope you guys enjoy this episode, and happy February. Spring is around the corner. Well, it's actually here for me. Summer's knocking on my door. Okay, there we go. All right, so I guess we will just start with introductions. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and where you garden, your zone, and I guess why you're obsessive and neurotic with gardening.
1: (laughs) Uh, Sure. Name is uh, John Markowski. I um I've been writing the blog Obsessive neurotic Gardener for uh I think it's just short of 7 years now. I'm actually coming up on an anniversary there. Um I am in New Jersey, zone 6B, and really the the central part of New Jersey right on the border of Pennsylvania. Um okay. the the it's funny the blog title, the, a lot of times I've thought about getting rid of it because I think when I first started That's how I felt, and I I think I uh, – dare I say I've matured over the years, and I'm not quite as obsessive. And I shouldn't say. Maybe it's – the obsession is still there, but the neurotic has slowly disappeared. So, um, You know, it's one of those things, too, where you kind of come up with the title, and all of a sudden you have it, and then you're stuck with it, and you don't know what to do. So (laughs) it's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, I understand. My own is kind of the same. I'm like, I don't really do anything with the ocean anymore, but – I've had this for like <laughs> 15 years. So, <laughs> uh, um, totally get it. So, you're in central New Jersey. Can you tell, I guess, a little bit? I mean, a lot of people may not really realize how naturey New Jersey can be. I, I know because I hiked the AT through there, but um, before that, I wasn't okay. familiar with that. So,
1: sure. Yeah. It's, um, of course, all the, I mean, everybody knows the stereotypes that apply to, to New Jersey. If anybody watched the, the show The Sopranos or, um, I know there was a, there was a time there where New Jersey was sort of uh, the pop culture, had its pop culture it moment where all you saw was New Jersey and not always the uh, best representation, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is the garden state and especially where I live, um, it's extremely rural, which a good portion of the state really is like you mentioned. And, and that's not what people typically think of. They think of our, uh, our major highways and, uh, um, just closer to New York not, and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, yeah, it's 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 very, I mean, w- one of the things we love about New Jersey is that, you, you know, you, we have the beach, we have the mountains, we have the country, we have the city. So all within, you know, an hour or two, uh, two hour drive, which is fantastic.
0: Right, right. Yeah.
1: We fell in love with the rural part of the state. So that's, uh, we've been where we are right now for about 12 years.
0: Oh, good. And so you started gardening, about what point in that?
1: Journey when you move there. Um, right away, I had actually where we had lived prior to that is where I really first started getting into it. Um, so probably, if I had to put a year on it, it was probably like the late 1990s. Um, and, it, and I've I've told this story and I've written this story before. And it it didn't I didn't um, I didn't grow up gardening. I didn't have any huge influences. You know, I didn't have parents that were gardeners or anything like that. Um, but I, I have to admit I'm a little bit um, not much of a handyman. And so when we had our first house, I I kind of took to – it started off with the lawn. I thought, all right, yeah, I can do the lawn, cut the lawn. Um, and it was just like one of those things where I, I think I bought my first shrub, I put it in the dirt, and I was hooked. And it was kind of like, all right, this is my domain now. I can handle this. I can't do too much damage out here. Um, and then it just it just went from there. And then when we moved to this house – Um, In 2004, I just picked up Guns a-Blazing. It was a complete blank canvas, which was Mm -hmm. exciting but terrifying at the same time because I could do anything. Um, Right. So really, I would say for the last 12 years is when I've really been um, gung-ho with with gardening and uh, haven't looked back.
0: Right. So with that, you've kind of – uh, I guess you favor natives and grasses a lot. And so I guess, how did, how did you start with that? You said you started with a, a shrub and planting that. Then I guess, how did you evolve from just planting something randomly to really kind of planning
1: out what you, your garden? Sure. Um, well, when I, one of the things I, I didn't, when we moved out here, one of the things I did not know is that we have a very high water table. Mm. And I'll be honest, I don't fully know what that means other than my soil is just constantly wet. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first started gardening, I wasn't paying attention to, I was just buying what I liked, putting it in the right. ground and everything was dying. Um, and then soon realized as well that we had a lot of deer in the area and I had never dealt with that yeah. before. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's comical. I, I wish I had more photos of what I started doing in the beginning. Cause it's, it, it's embarrassing. I was just putting whatever I wanted to in the ground. And again, I wasn't, I wasn't paying too close attention to it, each plant's needs, mm-hmm. um, and then after so many failures, I finally, you know, became smart enough to realize, okay, um, I should probably look at what thrives out here. Um, so I started going to native plant sales, and it kind of built from there. And then, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to say, maybe a year or two into living out here, I bought my first ornamental grass, and it was, all right, here we go. Deer don't like it they can handle this wet soil. And then I was in love. You know, they, I, that became the the backbone of the garden from that point forward.
0: Yeah. I think what I like so much about your photos and your blog is that, and it's really hard for me is, is the design element of that. Did you like hand draw any kind of gardens out or did you just kind of go with the flow and start, you know, put your anchoring plants in and start did you have a vision, I guess, was what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> I yeah, I'd love to say I did, but I didn't. Um, I'm very impulsive when it comes to not only buying the plants, but where I put them. I, I, I think I, I at the time I think I have a plan and mm-hmm. I'll put it in I mean, I, I can tell you at least five, ten times I've planted something and turned around the next day and moved it again, and turned around the next day and moved it again. I and I guess that's where the, the, the neurotic. The neurotic. Exactly um and it, it, that was the beginning and you know then it's i still i i have never drawn a thing um i i i sort of get the vision in my head of what i want to do and um i just keep experimenting and eventually i got comfortable with okay um what i found i i like the most was using grasses as as focal points more so than doing any sort of massing of them and then filling in with, you know, as much as I can, native perennials around that. And then it's just, it's all sorts of tweaking. And of course, it's also easy with a camera to make everything look fantastic too. So um, I'm also, I'm I'm hiding a lot.
0: (laughs) Right. That's true. I, true, I understand that. Um, So I guess, do you have any influences? Like uh, over the years, have you learned anything from any particular garden designers or going to native plant classes or
1: anything like that. Yeah. I, I, I of course love Pete Udolf, If I'm saying that right, I always am afraid I'm not saying the name right. Um, And sort of that wild, natural look, that was definitely something when I discovered that style, I was in the library all the time. Um, Really try. It was a wild, but controlled look is how I always thought about it. It was kind of like controlled chaos. Right. Um, I always followed everything that he did. There's actually a another gardener who lives in the same town as me. Um, name's James Golden, and he has um, Federal Twist his name is the name of his garden. It's been in the New York Times, and it was funny. We I we knew of each other, but had no idea we lived right around the corner. Hmm. Garden is just it's magical. It, it's it's natives, it's grasses, it's big, it's huge, it's out of control, but it's it's phenomenal. So I've I've always taken to that style. To, um, to copy. It so sorry,
0: it, it cut out there for a second. I didn't quite hear that. What'd you say? It was big and out of control, and then it was big.
1: It was big and out of control, but yet in a controlled way, or in a, you know, it was it was he? I think it, it's almost like Dr. Seuss kind of garden, and I I can only dream of having it that way. But I've always loved the the more out of control, wild say natural looking. Um, um, you know, plants not lined up perfectly type of look. I've tried to do that, but then it battles against my need to – so it's, it's this bizarre psychological thing I have with my, guard- with my garden right. side. I want to be really wild and out there, yet the other side, I'm battling against that side to keep things in control and organized and, and neat and tidy. Right.
0: Um, how big is your garden? It seems like you have a big property, but the gardens aren't necessarily taking up the whole –
1: no i mean i'd love to say it'll eventually get there i'm on just a little over two acres and um as of right now most of the gardens border around um you know like our back deck you know really borders along the the driveway and i'm trying to expand out further and further into the yard and so every year i'm I'm, you know i'm digging up more grass and making a a larger garden so um still have a ways to go we have a we have a large lawn and it was great when our uh the kids were little
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but i'm not a i'm not a huge fan of the lawn and cutting the lawn and all the effort that goes in there so i'm trying to chop away it as much as i can
0: and are you putting in any um you said you had a high water table but i don't know how much rain you guys get up there you put a watering system in or are you just letting it naturally
1: oh yeah just completely naturally i have never watered my lawn
0: oh wow okay
1: yeah i and I have never fertilized it um, I kind of once we and a lot of it, a lot of it was out of necessity because in the, when we first moved out here it was so large and impossible to keep up with mm-hmm. and I just sort of settled in with you know the lawn is the lawn um during the you know droughts in the summer it can look a little rough um but I've just sort of i came to to grips with the fact that I was just going to cut the lawn on the highest setting maybe once a week and allow the grass clippings to be, you know, the fertilizer and just keep it as natural as possible.
0: And the same kind of thing for your flower beds, you have a watering system for them or do you hand water?
1: No, now I, my watering system is me by hand. Okay. Uh, yeah. I've, I've thought about putting in, um, soaker hoses and everything else. And then I just, I never seem to get around to it. So then it's the, uh, I try to water as little as possible, try to plant as much as I can that doesn't have, you know, high, um, water requirements. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of, you know, in, in the dead of summer, it's a lot of hustling just to try to keep everything alive. Right. But, um, yeah, no No water system. I don't, I don't do any fertilizing with any of the plants either. Oh.
0: Um,
1: I just kind of, I, I kind of look at it like survival of the fittest. If it can survive out here after a couple of years, I know it's okay. And then, um, you know, other than some, some cleaning up and some cutting and some pruning here and there, it's pretty, um, it's pretty low maintenance. Yeah.
0: And so how about mulch? Are you regularly mulch or just kind of not Um, leave that up to (laughs) fate too?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm less and less. I was, I was, there was a time where I was, I was mulching too much. Um, I mean, I understand the benefits of mulch, but I found myself spending so much time mulching. Mm -hmm. Um, but, with with the garden maturing now it's it's getting to the point that for the most part there's no there are no bare spots anymore so there really isn't as as much of a need for mulch and by doing then that's also my my best weed repellent uh strategy is just to try to plant as much as i can so there's no room for them to grow
0: right yeah that's kind of something i'm struggling with right now is is our mulch and we really need to mulch like twice a year cause it decays so fast and it's so wet and yeah. humid. And, um, so I've, I've just spent some time putting down mulch, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a battle. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so over the years, have you had, I guess we'll talk regrets and mistakes, What lost a lot of plants. What have been some that you've really kind of been upset about?
1: Um, let me think about this. I know I I can remember trying azaleas, and I don't I don't even love azaleas. The funny thing is I grew up, any memory I have of any sort of level of gardening was that for whatever reason, my family and my grandparents were, and I just remembered they would bloom. They're big. And they died instantly. Um, I think... I think what my biggest mistake is that when I have more time on my hands to buy plants is in the summer when is when it's the worst possible, but I do it anyway. Enough, and then before I know it, um, hydrangea that that I can grow, um, especially deer hide them in in certain areas, but the hydrangeas really don't thrive here yet. I keep trying them because when they work, they're beautiful. I'm non favorite, but um, I've struggled with them like crazy over the years.
0: Yeah. I, uh, we have two hydrangeas uh, hydrangeas and some bounce back there. Can you hear me? Bounce back. Are you there?
1: No, there. I hear you.
0: Okay. Sorry. It was, I was re, it was echoing there for a second. Um, yeah, the hydrangeas, uh, we have two, and they aren't thriving very well. We also have deer issues too, so um, I, I okay. hear you on a hydrangeas as well. Um, I guess any mistake, other mistakes that you've made?
1: Um, yeah, any I have to figure out. <laughs> Um I one of the things I've realized over maybe over the last year or two was that, like so many other gardeners, I I'm impulsive when I buy plants and a lot of them might end up buying two or three. And when I have having a larger property and to um, lose any, any sort of impact, unless you really buy in a large amounts and plant in, you know, more in bulk, so to speak. Right. So I've really tried to, in some ways, I plant pallet, but try to just plant a lot more of what I know that works. So a lot of times now I'm buying seven or nine of the same plant and I find planting them in larger groupings, you get so much more impact. And it looks so much better than than a lot of little, a lot of little things that get lost in the in the largeness of the garden. So that's something I've definitely been trying to focus more on. And a lot of times, I can do that just by dividing perennials or plants that I have already. You know, right. so in spring, I've especially with the grasses. I mean, I can t- dig up a grass and turn one into five easily, and then within a year or two it's close to being the same size that it was before. So um, I'm probably also saving money these last couple years, really focusing on trying to divide what I have rather than bringing in something new.
0: Right. Um, so I guess what are your favorite plants that you have?
1: Um, definitely the grasses. Um, and my favorite grass, um, I love Panica more than anything else. It's a native grass. They're, it just thrives here. Um, if you've, you know, on the blog, you've probably seen, I'm always posting pictures of, uh, Northwind,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which has just been, is the greatest. It just, it's upright all year. Um, blooms are beautiful. Fall color is beautiful right now here in the dead of winter. It's still standing up and, and looks great. Um, that's definitely a favorite. Uh, Joe pieweed is yeah. another one. I've got so many different varieties. I can't even remember what they are anymore. Um, but that's another one that just is, is really foolproof. Um it takes a little while to to get going in spring, but once that kicks in, it really carries from you know June through now still. Um love that. I love um Amsonia. Yeah, yeah. Which another native that you know has those blue star like blooms in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, but then just looks it just has a texture. That works well with a lot of the other plants I'm using. So even though it, it's kind of understated, as you get into the summer, um, it still looks fantastic. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of that as well. And then uh, I love baptisia.
0: Yeah, I was just looking at that post you just you just did um, yeah. with your baptisia. Yeah, it's beautiful.
1: Oh, they're 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 fantastic, and and it's and that's another one you know that once you once it's established, it's it's tough as nails, and there's no there's no uh, hope of even trying to move it anywhere. So it's kind of like I get it in the ground and once it gets going, I just leave it be.
0: And have you tried like, um, I guess starting seeds from uh, any of your plants that you've. uh...
1: I say every year I say I'm going to do it and I don't. Um, And I, I kick myself for it. It's just, I don't know what happens. I sort of, you know, as the spring, as the spring comes on, I have all these big ideas and then I just start to realize that I don't have as much time as I like to think I have. And then yeah. so many of these things fall by the wayside. And a lot of that is is, is growing anything by seed.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I can imagine you would be able to really duplicate all of your plants if you were saving seeds. And-
1: I know. I know. It's, it's I'm kicking myself for not doing it.
0: Um, and so I don't think I see much edible talk on your blog. Do you Have you grown any edibles or are you just
1: – Eh, I'll buy it at the store. I, I do. I grow them. Um, mostly tomatoes. Um, one of the reasons that I, I haven't as much over the years is because of the deer. I still yeah. don't – I don't have – I'd love to be able to put up a really, you know, decent-sized, fenced-in area where I could um, really put in the effort. But I don't have that. The soil is so wet and waterlogged that I've – some things I've tried I haven't worked. Um mm-hmm. so I've really resorted to growing tomatoes in containers on my deck.
0: Okay.
1: Um, growing peppers. We actually were fortunate to have this this fantastic um chili farm. Chili um it, it's a it's a pretty well known online nursery that sells chili plants, tomato plants of any variety you could ever want. Um so I try to grow them as much as I can in containers on my deck, and of course when you do that in the summer it's a battle to keep them uh, watered. Right. And so I'm knowledge wise, I'm still a ways behind there. And it's another one of those things that I'd love to, um, do more of, but I always find that I get once the spring hits and I'm out in the yard, it's always, um, it seems to always be the ornamental plants where I, I put all my time in, um, ahead of all the edibles. And I also have to admit that, I don't really like tomatoes, which is like a sin, I think, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't really eat them too much. I grow them for my wife.
0: Yeah, especially now that there's so many heirlooms, it's like, really, you can't find one to like. But I, no, I understand there's some people that that don't particularly like them. So
1: cherry tomatoes I like. I'll eat a cherry tomato. I, I think it's the big, beefier tomatoes that for whatever reason, I'm still immature at 44 and, and not <laughs> eating my tomatoes.
0: That's all right. Um... So with all of this I do want to touch on um your involvement with the pipeline uh, oh, yeah. issue that you had a year or two ago. Um, I guess even you know, if a brief rundown about what's what happened and maybe what's going on sure. still with it.
1: Sure. Uh the pipeline in question is the Penn East pipeline which um, is supposed to run from Pennsylvania all the way into New Jersey. I think it's somewhere in the vicinity of like 170 miles. And again, where we live out in the rural part of the state, it, it's um, it's supposed to go through a lot of preserved land. Uh, we mm-hmm. all have our own wells for water, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always been the concern is the, is the effect that this pipeline could have on our water supply um, we have very high arsenic levels in our soil. Mm. So the, not only the act of digging to put in the pipeline, but then the actual operation of the pipeline itself. Um, you know, we've seen, there's a lot of studies that show how that ups the arsenic levels quite a bit. So that's been a, uh, a big concern just, and in just the general safety, it's a three foot wide pipeline, you know, with nat with gas running 24 seven, um, just the concerns of anything happening happening with that pipeline and, you know, all the disasters that we've seen over the years um, is a huge concern. And I, I think more than anything else, there is no need for this pipeline. There have been a ton of studies that have been done that we have an overabundance of natural gas in New Jersey already. And the gas that would be um, pumped out from the, the fracking location up in Pennsylvania all this gas, none of it is going to anybody. I mean, not to anybody in, you know, where I live or, and, or even anybody necessarily in New Jersey. So without the need, then you start to think, okay, is this, is this ultimately tagged to be, um, exported or, you know, where is it really going? And it's just been, it's a, it's, it's a fight that's been going on since probably the fall of 2014. Um, And as of right now, we're in the stages of the the federal government doing an um, environmental impact statement. Once that is finalized, then they have to – the federal government makes a call on the project. It was just delayed again. Um, It's been delayed, I would say, now maybe three or four times um, to a decision to be made this July. Okay. And so the fight still goes on. And wasn't one of the routes through your yard or just, a, was it adjacent to your yard? It, How did initially it was not through our yard. It was probably within half a mile. Then they okay. did a reroute that it went directly through our backyard. <laughs> um, and then they did another reroute and they moved it back to where it was originally. So as of right now, it's not actually through our property. Um, but it's still, you know, we're still within what they call the blast zone. So if anything were to happen, <laughs> we'd be in big trouble. Right. Um, but the fight still goes on. I mean, it was, you know, one of the one of the criticism you, you get a lot is that people people don't want it if it's in their yard, but if it's somebody else's yard, they're okay with it. And I think we've pretty much from the outset, um, being against it, not in our yard. Then it was in our yard. Now out of our yard. We've 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 remained pretty adamant. You know, very anti. Um, just based solely on on what, you know, the um, this project itself. It's just, it's not needed. And, you know, of course, we'd love to see, uh, you know, the state, the country going in the direction of a more re, uh, renewable energy sources. But I guess that's a discussion for another day.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I guess you have any tips for people who may be wanting to – have been a similar situation maybe not with a pipeline but something else that they need to be an activist or an advocate for i guess what did you learn through this process um i mean for yourself and with your neighbors and uh any words of advice
1: well i will say this is where social media i mean a lot of people like to um to criticize social media but that is really what energized this whole movement you know within within weeks of the first word of this project we had a um A group Facebook page, and you know, I guess, and I guess you see this happen all the time. We've had a few people in the area who were just amazing, amazing people that have dedicated nothing but their time to the cause and getting everybody educated. Um, You know, I know when we first found out it was on our property, you panic because you don't know what to do. Um, Mm -hmm. This Facebook page had very clear details of refuse. You know, don't let anybody come on and survey your property. Um, aware of what your rights are and you just start to find, you know, we found quickly, okay, there was the constitution pipeline was another one that people have been fighting. And very quickly that group gets you up to speed on the best way to handle it. And it's just a lot of communication. Um, and quickly you find that, you know, you, you get much tighter with your community when you have something like this that you're fighting together and so it just—I found it took a few people who were real strong, um, real strong at, at at gathering and energizing people to quickly make this a, a, a movement. Really, um, and so you know, I think you can. Whenever this happens to somebody, I think real quickly, just a simple Google search, um, you will find groups out there that can help you almost immediately and, and make you aware of what your rights are.
0: Right. Um, yeah, I just thought it was fascinating. I mean, obviously, you know, standing rock is kind of the big thing right now, but that there's, you know, obviously smaller or different projects throughout the country that aren't getting the, uh, the publicity and the fact that when I saw that the rat was in your backyard, I just couldn't imagine. I was, you know, it's hard to, uh, hard to imagine something like that happening.
1: (laughs) It really, it really is. And you know, one of the One of the criticisms or your, you know, people will say to you right away is like, well, do you use gas? You know, that's a criticism, like, oh, you're so against it, but don't you use it? And it's, I've always said the same thing is, you know, for us, it's been about this particular pipeline. And I think you look at each one on its own merits. Um, And sometimes, you know, Standing Rock to me is just the environmental concerns. And it's just, to me, it's a no brainer that it doesn't, that it should be stopped and, Um you know, I guess we're always going to have those, those battles with, with others. And, um, but for us, it's always been about, we don't need the gas. And if we don't right. need the gas, why would we ever put our, you know, our lands, you know, taxpayer supported lands that have, you know, people can't build sheds on their property because of the wetlands here, but yet right. we're going to let this gigantic gas pipeline come through. It It just, it just doesn't make sense.
0: Right. Well, hopefully that, uh, you know, it won't pass, but I yep. don't know if I have high optimism right now. So I,
1: I, I know, I know.
0: Um, I guess we'll change to a happier topic. Um, so a couple months ago you announced you were writing a book. Um, I guess I Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. Like why you're writing a book and what, what's the focus?
1: Well, one of the, one of the things I found is that having started the garden blog when I did, I found, I discovered pretty quickly a love of writing, um, you know, in writing beyond just blog posts. I always thought of the blog as sort of just a diary, um, of my own garden because I kept it pretty, pretty much. Here's what I've done in my garden. Here's what's happened. You know, from time to time I would, I would go on to other topics and, 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 and such, but I always found it like almost like I was writing my own personal diary for my own garden that I could look back on and go, oh, yeah, that's, I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just started getting this itch to write more about various topics. So I started writing on some other websites, and I've kind of found a balance now between the garden writing and then my own other writing. And so I found I, – I also knew that grasses. Are really what I enjoy more than anything else. I just love, I just, I, I love the way they look in my own garden. I love the fact that they, they really carry the garden through late summer all the way through winter at a time when you're desperately looking for, you know, at least here looking for something to, to get you through the cold months. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like they, once I discovered how I could use grasses in my own garden, it changed everything because it was one of those things where I knew they were going to work no matter what. And so then I just started um, dreaming up a book that would be, while it would be a gardening book, I thought it would be more a um, sort of a tale of, you know, a, a bit of an exaggeration, but like I think I was, I'm, I'm thinking I'm calling it like Gardens, a, gra- a love, grass is a love story. Um, and so I've started writing it. Admittedly, it's, it's a very tough um, time now to get a book with a publisher unless you are a very well-known writer um, or have a really huge social media following. Um, in fact, this week I just found out the, the last publisher that I had been working with had turned down the book, which, which was okay. Um, I got really good feedback on what publishers are looking for. And it really, I've known all along I was going to have to self publish. Okay. Um, okay. So right now I've, you know, I've, I have some of it written, Um, now knowing that I'm doing it all on my own, I think it allows me to really focus and, and put this um, put pen to paper and get going on it. But ideally I'd love to be able to, um, to put this book out. And I, I think I look at it. Well, I don't want it to be, you know, like a reference guide to grasses while I'd love to include that in there. I'm hoping I can put my own spin or my own personality on the writing itself. And, and make it interesting and um, interesting and educational at the same time so we'll say
0: so like part memoir part information
1: yeah, exactly okay.
0: all right I like that I like it I, I I like grasses but I definitely have a problem like with like identifying them so
1: <laughs> well, I do. Um, yeah it's and I I still do too so there's some part of me that's still absolutely learning because they're they're very subtle differences and I think sometimes people get I think that's what um I don't know I would say turn people turns people off to it but a lot of times I think aren't grasses really all the same?
0: No. You know, they're all kind of
1: the <laughs> yeah. green thing. And I'm like, yes and no, but you see how this one is slightly bluish green and this one's green and then you see how these blooms are you know, right, so right. cold season, warm right. season. So um We'll see. I, I'm hoping, I hope I can pull it off.
0: Do you think you'll have it out this year or next year
1: or? Um, I would definitely, I think next year, next year. Okay. Yeah. I think it's got. you know, it's going to take a little bit of time and, and, you know, there's also the challenge of the day to day, um, I'm regular right. job. And I've, you know, I have a, um, a 14 year old and an 11 year old and trying to balance all that. So we'll, uh, I'm hopeful. Really, once I knew I wasn't going to be working with a publisher, it really now kind of gives me – I know exactly what I need to do now. Right, right. And in a way, it's easier. I can just focus on writing it than worrying about sometimes what comes with working with an actual publisher.
0: Right, because then they're going to edit and be like, no, we don't like this, or you really (laughs) need to add this in. And Yep. Yep. I definitely understand. I I have my own uh, book I've been trying to peddle to publishers, and it's been – lot of nice rejection letters you know we like it but (laughs) so i think i'm gonna go the self-publishing route too i'm just trying to wait a couple more months before i do that so what is that
1: what's the book about
0: um it's about our um my husband and i did the florida trail after we did the appalachian trail and um so there's so many appalachian trail books on the market that there's not really hardly any florida trail ones. so i wrote a memoir based on that and
1: um
0: anyway yeah i took a couple couple years to write it because I was like you and working and kind of slow and um, finally got it edited and started submitting it to publishers last year. But it's definitely an uphill battle. Um, That's why I was so intrigued when you said you were writing a book. I was like, how's he going to do it? I'm curious. So (laughs) definitely interested in people publishing right now. So
1: yeah, no, I, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's become one of those things that it seems a little bit overwhelming, but at the same point, I, I welcome the challenge and I really want to I want to see it tump, come to fruition and if I'm being honest I I'm not all that concerned with sales so much as I am being able to actually put it together and say I did it. Right. Right.
0: All right. Well, um I guess we can wrap up. Can you tell people where they can follow you online and see your blog and see your sure. garden change and and uh, keep up to date on your, your book.
1: Sure. Uh, blog itself is www.obsessiveneuroticgardener.com, a very wordy <laughs> title. Um, but no worries there about getting rights to the URL. Um, and I'm probably writing there not, not as much during the, the winter months, but I try to do two to three times per week um, on Twitter. Um, the handle is at jmarkowski0. I am on Instagram doing mm-hmm. garden pictures as well, which I've, I've really come to love because Instagram just gives you so many. Um, you can be really creative with pictures um, and the various filters and so on. So I'm there as well. At, and that handle is also at J Markowski zero. Um, All right. I think that's it.
0: Great. Um, well, Thanks for coming on and chatting and uh, I will keep in touch with, uh, keep in touch with you and see how you're, going and I can't wait to have it published.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Thanks. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.